Welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Super Tuesday here, and I'm so glad that you've tuned in to hear our Super Tuesday conversation today. Um, actually, it's funny because uh, last week, President Biden announced that he would be running for office, and that set some hearts aflame in a Twitter, and other people said, oh, no, man, do we really have to go through this again? As a matter of fact, a very interesting poll of Pew Research conducted it with regard to whether or not people are ready for four more years for the Biden-Harris ticket, or is it possible that people are just over it? They're just sick of it. Well, interesting study, and this was one that actually, uh, there was one that was conducted by Pew, and there was one that was conducted by, uh, that was posted in the Christian Post. It was done by uh, the NBC News, as a matter of fact, and I found this one to be very, very interesting because of the fact that, uh, well, NBC News isn't necessarily pro-Donald Trump. They're pretty much pro-anybody in the Democrat Party. But I found it interesting that the numbers indicate something that might be something that perhaps you have been aware of for quite some time and you just never had a chance to voice it. And that is, how sick of <laughs> legacy politicians are we? How tired of legacy politicians are we? You know, I think it, this is where one of the issues that we're going to have to decide as Americans in the 2024 presidential election. Do we want more legacy politicians or do we want to see some new faces? On the Democrat side of the equation, when Hillary Clinton ran for office in 2016, it looked like she was a sure thing. Though I think that her choice of vice presidential candidate was a Tim Kaine. Uh, didn't really work all that well. Donald Trump knocked through a pretty good, solid um, group of Republican candidates, and it appeared that he was not, he was going to get run over. I mean, I, a, a very dear friend of mine from high school, uh, really, uh, he's a center-left type of guy. He's more of a classic liberal than a progressive. Really involved in, like, school boards and things like that. This is a guy who would work the phone bank calling up people. He said they were so certain of a Hillary Clinton victory that he worked in out of uh, there in Ventura County. And he said, you know, we were so sure that we were going to run the table in California that people in L.A. started making calls across the country. And he said, I knew a month before the election we were in trouble. I knew that when we were talking to people, and here's the reason why we were in trouble. He thought, if Republicans show up and vote for Donald Trump on Election Day, there are so many Democrats who are of the mind that he's, I mean, no one's going to vote. They don't, they don't think they have to vote. They don't have to show up. And may I remind each of us, as Christians, 25 million people who profess faith in Jesus Christ are either registered to vote and don't or eligible to vote and have not registered. This is my public service announcement now. The, the NBC News poll indicated that 70% of Americans who typically vote Democrat, do not want Joe Biden to run again. 60% of Americans who typically vote Republican don't want Donald Trump to run. So basically, when you put all the numbers together, because there are, I think there are slightly more, more Democrats and Republicans in the nation, a little more than half of Americans are tired of those two and want two other candidates at the top of their tickets. Or maybe a third-party candidate to show up. Wouldn't that be interesting? We could go all Israel you know, and have three different parties that all have to fight this thing out. By the way, doesn't look like Kamala Harris is a shoe in either. And when it comes to the Republican side of the equation, 
Well, then there's Ron DeSantis, and there's Nikki Haley, and there's some others. Christy Noem, the governor of South Dakota. Uh, Glenn Youngkin, governor of Virginia. There are lots of different uh, areas where these people could be running from. But the idea that it's going to have to go through Joe Biden and Ron, and uh, Donald Trump is uh, somewhat interesting to me anyway, possibly to you too. Um, of course, as we get into election mode, the debates will start to happen. Evidently, Donald Trump will not be allowed to participate in the Republican uh, debates. And that has something to do with the Washington Post doing some of the moderation and some kind of paperwork filing thing where he didn't get his paperwork in on time or I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see how you got Ron DeSantis, who took on parental rights in Florida and won, and now is being sued by Disney. And uh, some it's a 50-50 ball as to whether or not Disney will be able to prove that he enacted some of the legislation he did in retaliation for things that Disney had done as a company that can do and say whatever they want to. Um, and then there's Nikki Haley who read the tea leaves and checked the breeze and knew that one of the big things that animated Democrat voters in 2022 was abortion. We, the people, on the whole, didn't typically pay that much attention to abortion. When the abortion law, uh, Roe versus Wade, was overturned, um, most conservatives said, okay, well, whatever, that's good. We're glad it was overturned. But a lot of Democrats turned that into fear-mongering and a scare tactic. Well, if they took this away, then you're going to lose all your rights, and this is the end of democracy. And college-educated white women fell for that line and vote turned out en masse in 2022 to basically keep the House of Representatives the narrowest of margins in favor of Republicans because Republicans spent too much time in 2020 saying no one would be changing the laws illegally behind our back would they they wouldn't use a pandemic to uh, change uh, voting protocols no they would never do that <sighs> and then in 2022 no abortion isn't that big of an issue and look at the polls joe biden's so unpopular nobody would vote for democratic congress people it's going to be a red wave because that's how it used to be guess what guys I said this here on this program. I know a lot of conservative pundits said the same. When Donald Trump was elected president on November 8, 2016, all of the conventional rules that you thought you knew about politics flew right out the window. There are no rules. Captain Jack Sparrow would say these are only guidelines now. I mean, this is, this is where we live. But one thing that we can control as Christians is how we steward our vote. And yes, I use the word stewardship. When you vote your values, certain things happen. States like California wind up turning back around against abortion laws. Abortion is enshrined in California's constitution now. Same with Colorado, same with Michigan, same with Connecticut. But there are other states where we can let our voices be heard and let people know that the abortion lobby lives on, feeds on the fear that a woman doesn't have any autonomy over her own body. The decision should be just between her and her doctor. The baby has no say. Well, we all know that I mean, Republicans would force women to give birth and force them to, to, to what? Go to a preborn clinic. Look at the ultrasound. Would a Democrat, would a progressive ever force a woman to look at an abortion? No. Would they allow her to see an ultrasound? No. Because to them, it's one and the same. 
deep down, let's face it, they know. They know. Progressives know that if you show a woman an ultrasound, she's going to make one of two choices. She's either going to decide to be a mom, raise that child in her own family, or she's going to deliver that child and then release the child for adoption. Preborn clinics, 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics make that same decision. And your $28 donation right now, more and more bottom line listeners are doing this, $28 a month. Can you do that? Of course you can. Lisa and I were out over the weekend. We were running some errands. We had to stop by a fast food restaurant. We went through the drive-thru of the bill for a couple of sandwiches. And so 28 bucks. And I looked at her and she looked at me and she said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's so easy to save a baby's life and not only save the baby's life, but help lead mom and dad to Christ. Nearly 10,000 people last year who went to preborn clinics, met with the staff, prayed, saw the ultrasounds, came to faith in Christ, and either kept their child or released the baby for adoption. It doesn't mean that every single woman who goes to a preborn clinic sees the ultrasound and then says, I'm going to keep the child. Sometimes they do end the pregnancy. But the statistics don't lie. 85% of the time, it winds up being yes for the life of the baby and good news for the health of the mom too. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Go online to kbrightradio.com, rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner. $28 provides an entire ultrasound treatment, pregnancy test, ultrasound exam, reviewing the pictures, look at listening to the heartbeat, if you have been blessed and God says, I'm laying it upon your heart, this Sunday school class, this church, this large group of people, raise $15,000. Buy an ultrasound machine to be donated to a preborn clinic. Completely tax deductible. It'll do 250 ultrasounds every year for at least 10 years. What a great return on investment to be able to do 2,500 ultrasounds for $15,000. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com. Now, as we continue, I'm going to talk about some campaign election fraud that actually has turned badly for a former pop music superstar and also talk about why 25 million Christians could change the tone of Congress and local legislative bodies simply by registering to vote and showing up to vote this coming November. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Thank you so much for your contributions to Preborn. Thank you for standing in the gap for 
people of all different walks of life who are saying the sanctity of human life is well worth protecting and well worth standing for. Vote your values in November of 2024 and also during the uh, prelims, the primaries, if you will. Uh, Jason Yates at MyFaithVotes.org estimates that 25 million Christians will either be eligible to register and not do it or be registered to vote and not vote in this coming election. Imagine the difference in last in the last presidential election in 2020, even with the funny stuff that went on behind the scenes, the margin of victory for the current president of the United States in the general election was 7 million votes. What if half of the Christians who sat out last election showed up and voted their values? Place could look a whole lot different. So go to thebottomlineshow.com and keep watching for Roger's recommendations for next year and also for um, the uh, voter guide and being able to register to vote. Uh, People say there is no voter interference. There is no voter fraud. I was listening to some mainstream uh, left-leaning so-called progressive, uh, it was a satellite cable radio network, and a progressive talk show host who's actually a washed-up comedian who, I don't know how he got this job, but he got it. And he was going through all of the quote-unquote conservative Republican talking points and say, well, abortion, that's not a problem. And transgender issues, that's not a problem. And it's not an issue. And this campaign fraud, oh, there's no voter fraud. There's no election fraud, no campaign stuff. Unless you're Dinesh D'Souza, then oh my goodness. And Dinesh D'Souza, remember he had to go to that re-education camp because he made a couple thousand dollar donation to a political candidate and he asked another friend to do the same. And you can't give money that's yours to somebody else and let them give that money to a candidate. But apparently people on the left think you can. And people who are of great celebrity also think you can. But there's one guy who was a member of a rapper and a producer and part of a hip hop group in the 1990s that was pretty popular, uh, has now been convicted on 10 different felony counts And uh, even NBC News says this was a clean sweep for federal prosecutors. Now, there's a band that was called the Fugees, I think, F-U-G-E-E-S. And they had some hits, and um, then they didn't. I mean, you know, it's kind of the name of the game. A guy called, and I want to see if I pronounce his name, it's P-R-A-S and then M-I-C-H-E-L. Pras Michel, did I say that correctly? Um, Anyway, this is a guy who was convicted on 10 different felony counts of, well, let me read the charges to you. Um, you know, it's, it, his lawyer said, we're extremely disappointed in the results of the case. We're very, very confident in the ultimate outcome. In other words, they're gonna, they think they're going to get it overturned. Uh, he's going to appeal his conviction after sentencing. Here are the charges. This is a guy who struck up a relationship with a Malaysian businessman by the name of Joe Lowe who spent lavishly on an extravagant lifestyle and famous friends. He was a billionaire, okay? Now, this is a guy who apparently embezzled billions from uh, 1MDB, which is a Malaysian sovereign wealth fund, between 2009 and 2014. Mr. Lowe wanted to be in the company of the then president of the United States back in 2012. That would have been Barack Obama. And so since the Fujis were part of that kind of who are the cool hip people going to the White House in 2012, 
he was approached by Mr. Lowe and said, look, I want to have my picture taken with President Obama. And so he said, okay, well, what's it worth to you? And that's when Joe Lowe basically offered uh, Prost Michelle $20 million in cash. Now, he, uh, Michelle said that this was, it wasn't payment for services. It wasn't, uh, you know, kind of a contribution, whatever. It was just, you know, I'm, a change of money between friends. And I don't know. I don't, I don't walk in that rarefied air. So I don't know if this is just something that billionaires do is here's 20 million bucks, just go, you know, have a good time with your friends type of thing. I don't know. But the Obamas in 2012, it was a re-election year for them. They were holding fundraisers in places like Miami and Washington, D.C. There was one that was a $40,000 per seat fundraiser. And that's how a lot of candidates work around campaign election things. You can't just write a check to somebody for $40,000. But if somebody puts on a fundraising banquet for your campaign and you just happen to be there, then they can charge $40,000 for the meal. Remember, this is how athletes used to get around uh, problems with the Olympics and the International Olympic Committee saying, hey, you must be an amateur if you're going to compete with the IOC and our sanctioning stuff. And here's what they did. Okay, so you won't get paid to go to track meets. You won't get paid to uh, be involved in your sport. But if you sign a contract with Gatorade, and Gatorade pays you $50,000 to post for print ads and to say, I always drink Gatorade on the sideline at one of their matches. Well, that's okay. And you know, quite frankly, I'm okay with that. <laughs> if you have that kind of following on social media or you're the fastest runner or the highest jumper or whatever, and some company wants to pay you a lot of money to put their likeness on your shirt or whatever, knock yourself out. But it does begin to show you how ridiculous some of these rules are because anybody who wants to be altruistic about whether or not you can accept campaign funds, well, it's a kind of a head scratch. Uh, in the deal uh, the, that uh, Mr. Michelle worked out with Joe Lowe, the businessman, uh, Michelle, he accepted $20 million in 2012 from Joe Lowe uh, in exchange for getting his, present, his picture taken with President Obama. Uh, Pros Michelle also told jurors he gave $800,000 away to friends. Why would he give that money away, per se? Remember, I just mentioned Dinesh D'Souza and the fact that he wound up going to a re-education camp right around the same time for giving a couple thousand dollars to some friends and saying, hey, will you support this woman who's running for local Congress or whatever it was? It was pretty inconsequential. Well, do the math. If you've got 20 friends and you've got $800,000 and you give each of them 40 grand, they can now go to these fundraisers. And at the fundraiser, you pay the till, you get handshake with the president, picture of the president and the first lady. I mean, that's just the way the game is played. So what's interesting is the FBI found out about what was going on. And OK, um, what are we going to do? Well, once the FBI contacted him and said, uh, we have it on good authority that you gave $800,000 to these people for campaign contributions that they would not have made on their own if you had not given them the money. So Pros Michelle sent letters to some of the friends saying, oh, by the way, remember the 40000 that I gave you? Um, that was actually a loan. That wasn't a gift. And if you don't repay that money immediately, 
Um, well, there's going to be some repercussions. Well, prosecutors said, uh, here's the problem. That's called intimidation <laughs> because if we summon all these people and subpoena them to come and testify against you as to what you did is illegal, and now you're threatening them with this, eh, ain't going to work. Now, um, in 2017, Pras Michelle and Joe Lowe actually worked the other side of the aisle. They lobbied President Trump's administration on two goals. The first one was to get the Justice Department to drop their investigation of Joe Lowe. And the second one was on behalf of Chinese officials for the arrest and extradition of a Chinese dissident living in the U.S. It didn't have to actually work out that way. But basically, there was enough evidence to convict Pras Michelle of literally being an Asian spy. Politics makes for some strange bedfellows, ladies and gentlemen, and please keep in prayer the men and women of faith who choose to run for office because, my goodness, this is just so, so insidious. I guess that's the best word to describe it. For the number of people who wind up getting stuck in this type of uh, malaise, as it were. So we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Some final thoughts in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and uh, Super Tuesday edition of the program. During the election season this year, you're going to hear an awful lot about, um, uh, you know, alternate energy sources and things of that nature. And I just want to stress how important it is uh, to um, (laughs) make sure that you do your due diligence with regard to everything that is going on in the world around us, because uh, we had just had a situation at our family where a member of our family was involved in a car accident. They had an all electric car and the car was totaled. And now they're finding out that there's really not a whole lot they can do to part out the car and have any benefits. So now that car that was sold to them as a, uh, uh, you know, a clean, sustainable, healthy, that type of thing, um, is going to be filling up a landfill and and it's not necessarily what anybody had actually planned um toward that end though uh uh, this is going to be very interesting in this super tuesday uh season because of the number of people who are going to vote for candidates who are you know pushing the green technology and um it's interesting because in the city of irvine there's a hospital that's going to be opening up soon uh, 800,000 square foot hospital under the banner of UCI Health. The hospital will be located on the corner of Jamboree Road and Campus Drive, and it's going to be opened by 2025. And the thing that makes it so remarkable is that it will be all electric. A 45,000 square foot plant is all electric and solar powered and will use um, state-of-the-art art chillers for cooling and heating the hospital. The technology is currently in use at the UCI Medical Center in Orange, California. Uh, Joe Brothman, who's the Facilities and General Services Director at UCI Health, said, um, highly efficient, good example of the technology we're going to be able to live with in Irvine that we've been using for half a decade now, highly reliable, highly safe manner. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that I'd want to stay at the first all-electric hospital in the country, Um, I may not have a problem staying at maybe the 5th or 10th once they've had a chance to work out some of the bugs. But um, the building equipment is going to go through an extensive commissioning process and all the equipment and systems are going to be tested to make sure they work properly. Um, They're apparently going to make a sequence of operations that will allow the equipment to withstand different scenarios for a typical hospital. 
But here's the question that I have. The more that we add to the electrical grid in terms of demands with cars and all electric hospitals and things of that nature, the question is, do we have enough electricity to meet the demand? I think that's a fair question. And the answer is no. When Joe Biden took office in uh, January of 2021, he, um, uh, he basically uh, said, we're going to put all the federal vehicles on uh, you know, basically electric watch and we want every uh, car to be electric by 2030, I believe it was, or 2035. And there's not enough electricity in the grid to handle 2 million cars in the federal government all being electric. Then you got to add in all the electric needs you have, like in our studios and your homes and your churches and whatever. It's just not going to work out. But I'm sure they'll figure it out because apparently electricity is the wave of the future until it's not. Still kind of big on fossil fuels and nuclear energy and things of that nature. There's no clean, easy way, but that seems to be a little more cost effective. What do you think? Drop me a line at thebottomlineshow.com. Now, one thing I will commend the hospital operators for is that's making a decision (laughs) i think a lot of people don't vote they don't go to the right restaurant whatever because they just have a hard time making decisions but you know decision anxiety isn't just something that happens to that one person in your family it's a real thing why is it that so many christians have decision anxiety and what can we do if you've got the peace that passes all understanding the perfect love of god that casts away all fear Why do so many Christians have a hard time making decisions? Uh, Pastor and counselor Michael Gambola is going to join me on the other side of this break. We're going to talk about this new phenomenon of decision anxiety. He's got a brand new book out called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom in the Peace of God. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll have that conversation coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Wright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradio.com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing. Question, do you ever find yourself having a hard time making a decision? I mean, you a lot of us say, Lord, please you know, speak to me, thunderbolt out of the sky, big red arrow, whatever it is. And sometimes we're doing that because it's a big decision, but sometimes we're doing it too just because we really just have a tough time making the smaller decisions. Uh, Michael Gambola is a counselor and an author who has done some rather, uh, I think, groundbreaking research in figuring out why so many of us have such a hard time with this. He's written a great new book called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom and the Peace of God. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Michael Gambola, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for having me. 
One of the things that I love about Michael's background is in addition to being a licensed professional counselor, he's also an ordained minister and currently serves as executive director of Blue Ridge Christian Counseling in Southwest Virginia. He's taught counseling as an adjunct professor at many seminaries, has authored a couple of books and and knows a certain thing or two. Now, please tell me, Michael Gambola, is this because of your own personal proclivities, as it were, that, that this book uh, came out of? I mean, talk, are you, know, you a decisive person? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people get into people helping type work when they themselves are people who need help of one kind or another. Exactly. And that, that is true. And that's a great question. Am I a decisive person? Uh, pr probably not. Uh, uh, so I've, I've had to wrestle with these things myself a fair amount. That's true. I was waiting for you to say, my decisive person, I'm not really sure, you know, yeah, because right. that's, I, I get that a lot. Well, you know, I get that a lot from my wife too. I'm I, the, the, the nature of my business. I mean, it's not necessarily mm -hmm. like the legal world, but I'm trying to look at every angle of every aspect of everything. And so therefore sure. she'll ask a question, what do you want for dinner? And I'll say, well, let's see, you know, today's a good day for this one. And she's like, I just want to know Mexican or Italian, you know, just something right, like right. that. But decision anxiety is real. Talk about that. Yes. Uh, you know, we stereotypically talk about it with young adulthood and major life, mm -hmm. kind of life altering trajectory decisions, but that's really not the whole of it. You know, there, it, it does not respect a certain, you know, it's not a respecter of life stage. You know, you mm -hmm. could be anxious about decisions at any stage and everyone. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's a, in essence, it's an awareness of danger, which is what anxiety is. And, you know, in, in modern life, there's just a multiplicity of choices about everything. And part of that's a wonderful blessing. And part of that's might say a curse. Uh, there's a there's a, a TED talk from a few years ago where uh, a man talks about decision fatigue. And he says he went to the store and he tried on every type of blue jeans. And he left with the best fitting blue jeans he's ever had in his whole life. But he was the least satisfied that he'd ever been. Interesting. Because <laughs> it creates the illusion that you can yeah. get to that perfect decision if you right. just work hard enough at it. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, let's talk about it. Let's, I think, get down to the 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 brass tacks of it. We're talking decision anxiety with Michael Gambola today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom in the Peace of God. And we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, you kind of gave us a brief overview of what decision anxiety is. Uh, where does it come from? I mean, is it something that's genetic? Is it something that we learned from our parents? I mean, I, I, I can't really decide where it comes from, Michael Gambola. Yes, yes. Uh, you're you're right. There's some ambiguity there, and uh, as all decision anxiety, you know, it, it as it does, it, it takes some oxygen. Uh, it, it breathes and lives on, uh, on ambiguity, right? Yeah. But there are some things I think we can point to. I mean, you're right. A lot of people I think who who have some kind of anxiety, especially the more severe kind, think to a, an aunt or an uncle or a you know parent who also struggled, and so it, it's not a it's not a big reach to say there's something going on there, the proclivities that are inherited and all that. Uh, I, I like to tell a story of, you know, how how I can see them emerging, and there's some data on this too. But that, uh, you know, there, there's some challenges in modern life, and often in families, uh, especially, uh, we we learn what to fear, and mm. we, uh, you know, by by the observable metrics, each successive generation for the last few has has been more anxious, and has you know, has, has seen an expansion of choice. And you've seen also the institutions that have given us identity largely occupied less space, you know, in, in, in terms of our civic identity, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what neighborhood I'm in uh, has a lot less to do with my sense of belonging and identity 
what particular church or denomination I'm a part of. Again, less of that. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the, the institutions or even, even the family, you know, I think a few hundred years ago, how many decisions did I realistically make? Could I have realistically made about my vocation? You know, more or less what your dad did is probably what you're going to do. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things that have changed in modern life. Also, so a chapter in the book that I talk about is that, you know, the family is like a little world where you learn what the big world is like. And no family gives you that full picture. Right. Uh, but we, we carry a lot of that. We learn what to value and therefore what to fear when that's threatened. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I heard it described one way. I think it was a pastor, may have been a counselor who was talking to young married couples. And he said, remember, when you go on your honeymoon and you start that new home, you're carrying luggage with things that you brought with you. But if we're talking about the emotional baggage. Those bags are packed sure. by your parents and grandparents and all those people. And sometimes you open those things up even on your wedding night and you say, wow, how did that get in here? You know, sure, I had there sure. a huge discovery. The idea that our families teach us things like what to fear and, you know, what to focus on everything could be a blessing and a curse. How, yes. how do you recommend that people take a look and kind of assess it as right. uh, objectively as you can? Yes. You know, cause especially, especially those of us who are parents, we're very, very aware that we're not nailing it all the time, you know, right. that uh, plenty of, you know, th- there are plenty of things our kids could tell back to us that, yeah, that was probably tough growing up. And so mm-hmm. there's a humility here too. Now I caution against two approaches. One is on the one hand, it's, you know, hey, personal responsibility matters. You know, don't blame everything on your mother, you know, or your father or whoever. You, you know, essentially, essentially, almost brush it off. You know, like get get over it, move on, and just uh, this this quick quick moving on, not giving much attention. And the opposite, you, you read some people, and you kind of get the sense that everything important or interesting about you is explained by what you didn't get or did get growing up. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I think either of those don't quite take us in a great direction that I don't think we're condemned to always, you know, be stuck exactly where, in what we've experienced, nor do I think it has no effect. So I, I try to caution against both of those, you know, lop off both of those extremes and then say, OK, what messages did I receive? Those are usually relatively not, you know, not not too hard to find. Uh, what messages did I receive about what was important? What messages did I receive about? What was to be feared? Uh, what are people like? Are people trustworthy or not? You know, are is God trustworthy or not? Uh, you know, what does success mean? What do grades matter? You know, d- does prestige matter? All of these things have, I think, are really important messages, and not all those are balanced messages. Not all those are helpful messages. Hmm. So it's, it, but I do think if you can lay those out, then that sets you up well to say, okay, what can I can I appreciate? thank God for and not expect every family to be the full repository of wisdom. On the other hand, to recognize some of the unhelpful things or lies then also opens up a door to say, okay, what's the truth? If money and power isn't everything, what is everything? What am I aiming for? Great wisdom from Michael Gambola today here on The Bottom Line. Michael's a counselor, an ordained minister, and author of the brand new book called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom and the Peace of God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. So this culture of fear that you were talking about earlier, we've seen how it's wreaking havoc on young adults. Talk for just a moment about the person who hits age 60, age 70. Maybe they're in retirement years. Maybe they thought their retirement was going to be a certain way, and all of a sudden they're still working or they're having to move or something like that. Talk about what this culture of fear does to make it difficult for them to be more decisive. 
Sure. Well, a lot of people oh, in that phase of life, stage of life, they they have a kind of a newfound openness that there's there are options. That what, what do I do with my time, and what have I done with my time? So there's the both of looking back and now looking forward, and and what do I do with what what we have here? Um, and if you spend a whole lot of time listening to cable news, you're you're going to get those fears <laughs> just stoked and stoked and oh yeah, yeah. Oh, into yeah. open flame into open flame and. Uh, you know, that, that's, that doesn't really, uh, that's kind of true about every, every, every news, every cable news station. Um, so it, there is this you know, large scale, I think, uh, invitation to be afraid or to be angry. It, it sells, uh, sells advertisements on the TV. It gets you to click on stuff. So now I, I'll, I'll shift gears slightly. So there's, there's a culture of fear piece, but there's also some life stage dynamics that are challenging. I was walking through the grocery store several years ago and, and on the front page of one of the magazines, it said the existential crisis of the stay at home mom. And what the, and I read the article and essentially what it was saying was that, you know, parents, especially, but, but, but it was writing particularly to moms who had, you know, who had, who had largely invested you know, tremendous time and energy mm-hmm. into the raising of their children. And now the kids are out of the house and they're, they're launched. And it's, it's kind of a moment of saying, now what am I supposed to do? Right. And so you, you can easily see how now it's the decisions that were made for me for 20 years, mm-hmm. 30 years even, now I have to make every day. And mm. you can easily see how it kind of leaves you on, on the back foot a little bit, not really sure what to do. Yeah. And if you're that focused on whatever it was you were doing without thinking about yourself as a whole integrated person, integrating into society and your faith in Christ, then it can really lead us in the havoc. Uh, Michael Gambola is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom in the Peace of God. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, of course, we got to get some action points. How do we change this? If, there, if what we've been describing here in the past 10 minutes or so is starting to ring a little too close to home <laughs> for you, what are some steps that we can take? We'll talk about that with counselor and author Michael Gambola in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Michael Gambola is with me today here on The Bottom Line, counselor, ordained minister, author of a brand new book called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom in the Peace of God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Mike, uh, the uh, the expression decision anxiety, I didn't realize that was a, a thing, but as you articulate in the opening part of the book, it really is. And I love the way you outline how decision anxiety works. And, and quite frankly, you right off the bat, you say, hey, look, there are four ways that we try to fix decision anxiety that actually make it worse. Can you take us through just a couple of those before we get into some solutions here? Sure. You know, that the overthinking that is just is part of anxiety, the ruminating, you mm-hmm. know, you think you've got a problem, just give it some good thought. You would think that would be the way to fix it, but mm-hmm. you tend to get caught in a loop and uh, the ruminating, the perseverating, turning it over and over and over again, it doesn't necessarily take you to a good place. That's overthinking. Right. Also, you have uh, overchecking, which is the kind of you, you you cross things off the list, but you go you go back to them, uh, and it's mm-hmm. not this wise moving forward. It's more like the person who's already turned off the oven, but going back to check again and again. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, you know, sometimes this can be a kind of a monitoring too, of like where are my emotions? Am I having enough of a piece to make the decision or not? And you just get stuck in very internal uh, focus. Uh, also, there's uh, over consulting, and you know, of course, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Of course, you want outside perspective, 
but I've known some people who have asked so many people about a major decision that invariably they get some different advice and then they feel stuck between their friends' decisions. Right. <laughs> they haven't made a decision. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Finally, there's over escaping, which I said mm. over because I think a little bit of distraction is a healthy thing. So mm -hmm. you put in a good day's work or you put in some good thought on a problem, you set it aside and you go out in the garden, you mow your grass, you watch something on the TV, you talk to your friend, you, you do something totally different uh, and then come back to the problem. But over-escaping is to say, you know, I, I can't put good work in. I'm too stressed by the decision itself that's coming up. And so I'm lost in video games for a few hours or binge-watching TV shows in the night or, um, you know, a whole range of things you can do to escape. Uh, but the, the thing that, you know, I've heard other people say is, you know, the clock's not necessarily going to make a better decision for you. And mm. options will start falling off if you put it off far, you know, more and uh, more into the future, far enough into the future, eventually some options are just going to fall off the table because this expiration date's been reached. Right. And so now you have two two points of, you know, two options, and and your decisions may be easier, but you haven't necessarily made a better decision. Right. Right. Michael Gambola, my guest today here on the Bottom Line, ordained minister and counselor and author of the book Anxious About Decisions: Finding Freedom and the Peace of God. That link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I love the way you practically say, okay, here's the situation. Decision anxiety has permeated the culture. There's fear everywhere, and it's even impacting the church, obviously. Um, but then you look at three areas of life where when you talk about, you know, how you can change the action points, and you see people who are, you know, either hung up on marriage, either they can't get married or they can't stay married, the people who are bouncing around from job to job, people who just have a tough time making decisions all the way around and say, hey, wait a minute, there's a biblical solution for each of these symptoms of decision anxiety. We've got about six minutes left here, so that I think that gives you maybe a couple of minutes for each one. Uh, can you give us an overview of what these practical solutions are? Sure, sure. The three areas I look at are marriage, vocation, and what I call the small things, you know, plans, purchases, how you use your time. Mm -hmm. And some of the things I look at, go back to the title for a moment. The I'm trying to orient people to the peace of God rather than the will of God. Now, the will of God is extremely important. It's all over yes. the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to downplay the importance. But what I try to emphasize is that the, thing God's, the things that God wants us to know, the things he most wants us to be fully aware of, he has made abundantly clear. And so the, the, the core things of, I must love my neighbor. I must walk humbly with my God, do justice, love mercy. I must, um, yeah, I, I must, I must not steal, lie, cheat, etc. Yeah. And those things are incredibly clear. And this is God's will for us to, to do those things. Amen. Now the challenge is that, um, if you're wondering whether I should mow your, you should mow your grass tonight or tomorrow, or if you should go to this restaurant or that, uh, or even if you should choose this college major or that, you, you might you usually don't pray about small stuff, but especially the bigger ones, you pray about them and you want to know God's will. And he usually comes back and says, I, you know, I, I'm more concerned with how you live and the direction you're living than these particular decisions. And in mm -hmm. fact, you know, I've given you this little corner of creation to cultivate, you know, this, this little garden, this, this little area of my creation as just to, to steward and to be my image in you know, like in the garden of Eden. And, uh, and actually this, this stewardship involves decisions and you take meaningful action. And rather than trying to follow the breadcrumbs to get to God's will on these, all these details that he doesn't often reveal to us, 
you're oriented toward the peace of God, which is to say, I make imperfect decisions. I grow in skill as a decision mm-hmm. maker, and I, I trust him with the results. Uh, it doesn't mean that you totally downplay or just blow off anxieties because sometimes they're an adequate, a helpful, a wise indicator of danger. So you're with someone that maybe not is going to be a good, maybe it's not going to be a good fit dating wise, and the red flags start going up and the anxieties start to rise. That's actually a gift from the Lord. Mm. Uh, now, on the other hand, if you're eaten up with anxiety and you want to move forward, but you're, oh no, what if, what if, what if, and it's not really about the person, it's about marriage as a whole, or it's about, you know, you, you know for sure this is just how I deal with every decision, then it can get in the way. Uh, and so you want to want to push back against it and to view the small decisions along the way as the task and not the just the big monumental one at every moment. You know, the image, Michael Gambola, that actually came to mind as you were sharing those things from your book, Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom in the Peace of God, was something, and I, I want to personalize it and see if maybe I, I, I'm getting this here, sure. uh, what you're talking about. Uh, the way my wife and I drive in the vehicle, uh, she's a very anxious driver. I'm a very cautious, but, you know, who cares driver? Um, she's on the horn all the time at people, you know, letting them know, Hey, you're in the way you're kind of close to my lane. Yep. I hardly ever hit the horn. As a matter of fact, we were driving the other day and she reached over and hit the horn for me. Um, <laughs> she, uh, when it comes to riding shotgun, I'm the navigator. And when she rides shotgun by her own admission, and I can only share this because she does, yeah, yeah. she says, uh-huh. I really need to work on that navigation part. <laughs> yeah. um, but is it the way we use the horn and we listen to the horn in life and this, that, and the other thing is that kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's kind mm-hmm. of where you're getting at and saying sure. there are good anxieties and not good anxieties. Sure. And that's, that's a good, that is a good analogy. I think I, I in the book, I use the analogy of the fire alarm mm-hmm. that, you okay. know, yeah, we all need one. And when, if there's a fire, we absolutely want to know about it. But every time, if it's going off, every time you cook, anything on the stove it's irritating right oh and, yeah and that's, oh yeah that's how people feel when they're um you know when their anxiety is running through the roof you know if i'm if i'm about to go into someone's lane and they honk that's kind of a courtesy and it's useful yes uh on the other hand um you know if, if they're riding my tail and just you know <laughs> hitting the horn <laughs> over and over and over again and i'm just going the speed limit uh, you know or or five over whatever it is and you know, then here, here I am, irritating, frustrated, and a lot of people struggle with anxiety. Are just so exhausted by it, and yeah. so sick of it. They just want to be free. Yeah, yeah, that exhaustion is real, and yet this is where I love what you said earlier, Michael. About this is about finding the peace of God, not necessarily the will of God. Of course, the will of God is important, but if we're not operating in His peace, then we're kind of back in Old Testament Torah obedience, where it's mm. like the only way you're going to have any peace is if you're obeying God, because you're going to get cursed if you don't. And mm. and we're at a different dimension now here in the New Covenant, and I think mm. that's a, a very very helpful. Sixty seconds left in our time with uh, Counselor and Pastor Michael Gambola today here on the Bottom Line. The book is called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom in the Peace of God. Michael, uh, what what's your hope, what's your desire for somebody who gets a hold of this book and is expecting that all their problems are going to go away if they read it? <laughs> well, the hope that I, I do want to offer hope. I wish I can, I wish I had this lever that you could pull to make it all go away quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the the thing I'm all, most wanting to offer to people is that, you know, the anxiety notices dangers that are real dangers. Almost no anxiety has 0% possibility of being true. Fair. It can be yeah. extremely unlikely, but a lot of times it, anxiety is thriving because it's possible. And so my, my goal is to help people live in a world that many scary things are possible. 
And this, this exercises the muscle of trust, of leaning on a, a good father in heaven. So that it's, I'm not going to nail it. I'm not going to get every decision perfect. But like mm-hmm. those old GPS, you know, used to do it, recalculating, recalculating, <laughs> make the wrong turn. Yeah. No, no, he, he's going to get you home. He's, yeah. he's going to get you home. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're going to make some wrong turns even. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's going to get you home. I love that. That's great counsel from Michael Gambola today here on The Bottom Line. Highly recommend his new book called Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom and the Peace of God. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Michael, thank you for the book. Thanks for the work. And thanks for your time today here on The Bottom Line Show. Really appreciate it. Thanks. It was great to be with you. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And thank you, Michael Gambola, for this conversation. I want to give you as a bottom line listener an opportunity to overcome your decision anxiety right now. Here's how. Decide that you're going to pick up your phone and call 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We have two copies of Michael Gambola's book, Anxious About Decisions, that we're giving away today. Okay? But you got to call before the top of the hour. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, how do you overcome this decision-making anxiety that plagues so many Christians? I'll give you a personal story about that. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. My thanks again to Michael Gambola for joining us today here on The Bottom Line, talking about anxious, being anxious about decisions, the whole concept of decision anxiety. And we have a couple of copies of this book that we're giving away right now. So I mentioned before the break, don't be anxious about this one. Have no anxiety. Pick up the phone and call 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're giving away two copies of Michael Gambola's book, Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom in the Peace of God, 800-227-5278. You know, somebody else who was not anxious uh, rang us up yesterday, and that would be Delia in Pico Rivera, who called, uh, contacted us, I should say, uh, preborn, and made a donation of $500. Now, that's a tax-deductible donation. Delia, thank you so much for calling in that donation. Divide that 500 by 28, because it's $28 per ultrasound screening that is provided, the whole treatment that goes into the ultrasound, 
and uh, the, the pregnancy test and just the meeting with the medical staff there at the preborn clinic. 85% of the time, a woman who has the ultrasound, hears the heartbeat, sees the baby's face in the camera, makes the decision to either release the child for adoption or give birth. And Delia's gift makes it possible now for nearly 20 babies to be saved. Thank you, Delia, so much for that. We really appreciate your tax-deductible donations to Preborn. A $500 gift is going to save nearly 20 babies' lives. A $5,000 gift gets us a third of the way toward having an ultrasound machine. And we have donated here at the Bottom Line Show since last October 1st when we started talking about Preborn. Bottom Line listeners have raised enough money to send seven ultrasound machines to Preborn clinics all across the country. Well, we do it here in the Southland because that's where we're based. To put this in perspective, last year for the entire preborn organization, preborn placed 60 ultrasound machines where people had raised money, donated money. Seven of them came from the bottom line show. You guys are amazing. If you have $5,000 to put toward a $15,000 ultrasound machine, Give us a call, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. You can click on the preborn banner there. You know, when you call in today at 800-227-5278, if you'd like to win uh, one of the two copies of Michael Gambola's book, um, make that decision to call, see if you can win the book, but then also find out how you can give a gift either over the phone or online to preborn. Make that decision. There's a child whose life is hanging in the balance. And your decision to say, I want to choose life for that baby to help this mom make that decision, it's one of the best decisions you will ever make. And nearly 10,000 women came to faith in Christ because of preborn last year alone because of your tax-deductible donations. Give us a call, 800-227-5278. Find out how you can win the book and make a donation to preborn as well. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, our GOP presidential hopeful went on Meet the Press over the weekend and actually gave a pretty clear and succinct definition of human life, male and female, and why he thinks the transgender argument is really not up for debate. We're going to hear that exchange coming up next as the bottom line continues. Get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now. What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired and you're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, that, that I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the, the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, or welcome to the Bottom Line Show. I realize a lot of people tune in for the final half hour because you're just getting off of work and getting in the car, and uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you for letting us know that you're listening, too, either by dropping us a line on our Getter page or on uh, just giving us a call, reaching out to us at thebottomlineshow.com. You can click on rogermarsh.com. It's all linked. It's all kind of hyper-connected. 
And we appreciate you uh, making the decision, not only to listen to the program, but making the decision to reach out to us. Uh, Michael Gambola was my guest in the last half hour. Michael's a pastor and a counselor, and he's written a book about decision anxiety, which is just fascinating. Uh, it, it's, it's a real thing. As a matter of fact, uh, George Barna is going to join me here in another week or two. He's got a brand new book out on helping millennials thrive. And it's not your traditional, um, okay, well, we've got all the answers and we're just going to tell millennials how to live and think. But rather, it's how do we who are in, say, greatest generation or baby boom or generation X, we see this huge millennial generation that literally is the largest generation of people on the planet Earth in the United States right now. And when you throw in a side order of Generation Z, there's no comparison. This is the largest voting block. This is the largest purchasing block. And these are the people who are having the most problems with mental illness, anxiety, depression, a lack of connection, even though they're constantly on some kind of mobile device. And they're having a hard time, George was telling me the last time we spoke, uh, that 75% of people in the millennial generation have a difficult time I mean, they're dealing with emotional problems, anxiety, things of that nature, because they don't think their life has any purpose. And as Michael Gimbola and I were talking about the idea that there are so many people who are anxious about decisions, well, you can understand the anxiety. You know, the number of people who may have been brought up to think, hey, everybody gets a trophy and it's all about you and you deserve this and et cetera, et cetera. But then when it comes to making a decision, between two really good opportunities and you have a hard time making the, you know, I want to say pulling the trigger, but that, that I don't want to be insensitive to people who don't like gun violence, but getting off the dime, making that decision. A lot of people are anxious about decision-making and I, I, I can't stress this enough. I don't believe that people wake up one day and say, I need a savior. I need to be saved. I need the sanctification process. I'm choosing Jesus. When people use the term decision theology, that, that gives the impression that someone might have just decided they've conjured up this version of God and this is what they like. But at some point, we do have to profess faith in Christ. Romans 10, Paul says, look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you approach the waters of baptism, and we were, Lisa and I were, we did home church this week. We're watching a great worship service online. And um, we were watching, it was the fifth Sunday, and this, this particular church was doing baptisms for young people. And the youth pastor, a very dynamic speaker, uh, was asking the kids as they got into the waters of baptism and were about to be immersed by the adult leadership, he asked them, Do you believe? that you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he paid the penalty for your sin. And they said, yes, I believe. Now, some people would say, okay, well, that means you made a decision for Christ. I don't know that you made a decision as rather you're affirming a decision that's already happened in your heart. And as a result, I don't think the decision was up to you. Someone has to speak it. Someone has to profess and confess it. But See, I don't have that kind of anxiety about making the right or wrong decision because I believe that decision was prompted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the places I learned that was from my parents, especially my mom. Spent hours when I was a young child uh, chatting my mom up and she'd chat me up. And apparently I'm a lot like her dad and they used to have the same kind of relationship. I, I say apparently because my grandfather and my maternal grandfather died about a year before I was born. And uh, the one, I mean, the first person I will be looking for in heaven is him. 
because I want to meet him. <laughs> I mean, apparently we were so we were so close, you know. But I understand that I, I, I cherish those those memories that I have growing up and hearing the stories of my grandparents and and with my grandmother, but especially my mom. And I know that for her, being a mom who was a stay at home mom for about ten years, raising my sister and brother and me had been in the workforce, came out of it while my dad was going through grad school and whatever. Uh, she would say it was probably the most rewarding job she had, but also one of the most difficult ones. And, you know, I hear these stories all the time and here at Crawford Broadcasting, we do too. As a matter of fact, yesterday we kicked off this great new promotion for Mother's Day. And I encourage you to go to kbrightradio.com, click on the Mother's Day banner and nominate the mother in your life, whether it's your mom or the woman who was like a mom to you. Maybe you had an aunt or a grandparent or maybe a teacher. Maybe you want to say, hey, here's the deal. You know, I mean, I love being a mom. And so therefore, you know, that's the whole, uh, that's what I want to celebrate. We are going to be sharing some of these stories over the air over the next couple of weeks. Mother's Day, of course, is a week from this Sunday. And we're going to have a drawing. Uh, second prize is a massively beautiful big bouquet of flowers. And first prize is a spa package, spa day. I mean, what mom would not like that? Kbright Radio, K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the Mother's Day banner and sign up your mom, sign up your grandma, sign up your sister, aunt, and whoever was that mother figure to you. Or if you're a mom who just loves being a mom, say, hey, I'm a mother of 17 kids and I just love being a mom or whatever do that. I, I think you'll, you'll benefit from it and you'll appreciate it. Now, <laughs> you heard me saying, I'm a mom and whatever. And I hope nobody heard that and said, oh my gosh, Roger is transgender. Roger's confused. He's, he said, I'm a mom. No, I was speaking on behalf of the women who are moms. I understand completely that it is not possible for someone like me to be a mother. The fact that we're even having this conversation though, shows you where we are in the culture today. The fact that there are people who are actually discussing this, it's just, it, it's mind-boggling to me. It is a head scratch, if you will. And yet, it is happening. There, there was an exchange. I, I want to give a little light to this, a little oxygen to this. I've not spoken of any of the presidential candidates other than the ones that we know who have officially declared for office. Uh, Donald Trump has declared for the Republican side. Uh, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., has also announced that she is running for president as a Republican. Uh, the Democrats have announced that President Biden will be running for re-election in 2024, and ostensibly that also means that Kamala Harris will be running on the ticket. By the way, uh, set your calendars. This week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, tomorrow morning, the guys and I are going to get going at oh, dark 30 here on the West Coast, and we're going to be discussing the, we're going to devote the entire hour to what is the Democrat strategy behind Joe Biden being nominated again for president? We were wondering four years ago if he would finish out this term. He's more than halfway through it. I think if they were going to throw a flag and have uh, Kamala Harris take over, they would have done that by now. Uh, Gavin Newsom here in the People's Republic of California sure has been acting like he's trying to show people he's presidential. But he also announced that he would not officially declare for the office and he's not going to run, which means uh, nothing. I mean, <laughs> if the Democrats decide that uh, Joe pulls a hamstring, Kamala becomes the president, uh, Gavin Newsom will be vice president in a heartbeat. But there's another guy, a young man by the name of Vivek. I, I hope I'm pronouncing this uh, correctly. Uh, Vivek Ram 
Ramaswamy or Ramaswamy. He's a venture capitalist. He's Harvard educated, has a law degree. He's in his mid thirties. He's old enough to run for president. So he's gotta be at least 35 years of age. And he was recently on Meet the Press, actually over the weekend with Chuck Todd of NBC. Chuck Todd has a thankless job at NBC because NBC, MSNBC, CNBC have a reputation, they've earned this reputation of being more opinion driven than factually based for quite some time. I mean, and again, these are independent studies that, you know, people sit there and watch TV news all day long, or they download hours and hours and hours, and they watch, and they give letter grades based on what kind of news information is being presented. Is it the news that we all can use, or is it speculation? Now, a lot of people recently, up until Tucker Carlson was relieved of duties, looked at the Fox News Channel as kind of the gold standard, if you will, when it comes to uh, uh, the network newscasts. They, you know, most people found that Fox News was the most trustworthy, the most credible uh, compared to the others. Now, if you are not a big Fox News fan, uh, there's a good chance that it's for one of two reasons. Either A, you used to watch them until they fired Tucker Carlson, and now you're like, hey, forget it. If Tucker's not there, I'm not there. And those numbers are bearing out. Tucker used to average between three and three and a half million viewers every night, and now his time slot is getting between 1.1 and 1.3 million. Still a lot of people, but now you're in CNN category. There's another reason why people don't watch Fox News Channel, and that's because they've been told it's nothing but a bunch of lies. Well, the actual facts are, and I got this years ago from Gary Lichen. If you grew up in Orange County and you read the Orange County Register, Gary was the radio columnist and Gary used to teach at local community colleges. He did news prep and things like that. And we'd have lunch sometimes. We'd go over to Benji's over in Tustin and, and he'd say, Roger, you know, it kills me to say this, but the I tell my news students, if you're looking for the most accurate news reporting, you got to go to Fox News Channel because they do a better job of not spinning. They, they really do. Now, it's not a huge percentage, but half of the programming on the Fox News Channel is news reporting. Shannon Bream, Brett Baer. Half of it is opinion pieces. You go over to MSNBC and 85% of the quote unquote news that's reported on MSNBC is opinion pieces. It's Rachel Maddow going, oh, you know, this is what's really happening here. And it, it's probably not. 15% is actual news reporting. That 35% makes a huge difference because we just want to know what's true and what's right, right? There are a lot of people who are looking at this gender fluidity issue and they're doing so from a purely emotional standpoint. I know somebody who is, I know somebody who thinks about it. Gosh, 20% of Generation Z is transgender. If you dig a little deeper into that, you find out that they're not transgender. They're sympathetic to the cause of transgenderism, which is a whole different can of worms. But when it comes to male and female, well, Vivek Ramaswamy was on Meet the Press Sunday. He was interviewed by Chuck Todd and they were discussing whether or not gender is binary or not. On the, we're gonna take a quick break and on the other side of this break, I want you to hear their exchange. It only lasts a couple of minutes. But when you listen to a presidential candidate who is actually speaking factually, having a conversation with a media guy who either is being told this is what you're supposed to say 
or maybe just maybe he really doesn't know. I mean, and I, I, my heart breaks for somebody who wouldn't know that there are only two genders, but there are people who do believe that way. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, a presidential candidate and a news media talking head having a discussion about whether or not gender is binary. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, one place where you find out, of course, that gender is binary and one place the left is going after is when it comes to the birth of a child. How do you know that's a boy? How do you know that's a girl? Is that the gender assigned at birth? Trust me, brothers and sisters, when you see an ultrasound of a preborn child, you can figure out if it's male or female and you know that kid's going to that kid's going to show up that way. Preborn is telling the truth to women who oftentimes are saying, gosh, if I had known how human that baby looks, the abortion clinic told me we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know. We thought it was just a bunch of tissue. We didn't realize hands, fingers, toes, nose, ears, all those things that you can see so early on in the gestational period. And it's because of your faithful financial support. Delia and Pico Rivera just made a $500 donation to Preborn today. That's going to save the lives of nearly 20 kids. Will you stand with her and with others who are making that pledge? Completely tax deductible and every penny goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are facing pregnancies that they didn't plan. 833-850-BABY is the number to call and donate. 833-850-2229. Or go online to kbrightradio.com, find the preborn banner, click it, and make your best donation today. Babies are being saved because of your donations to preborn. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're still taking your calls for Michael Gambola's book, Anxious About Decisions, Finding Freedom and the Peace of God. If you or someone you know has decision anxiety, we'll put it this way. We've had a few calls so far. If you know someone who has decision anxiety, make the decision to call and win the book for them because they're not going to. They're, they're just not. And that's okay. I think there are a lot of people who just need to know about the decision because of what happens in the media right now. Let's get into this clip. This is Chuck Todd, Meet the Press, NBC on Sunday. He's talking to Vivek Wamaswamy, who is a U.S. presidential candidate over on the Republican side of the equation. I'm just learning about what this guy is all about. He's pretty passionately pro-business, but also pro-life. And you're going to hear the part of this exchange right now with regard to whether or not the gender is binary argument will hold water in the 2024 presidential election. Joel, let's go cut number one, if you would. But below the age of 18, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that we won't allow genital mutilation or chemical castration through puberty blockers You're for the purpose of that, gender transition. But how do you know it's that? Again, how do you know, are, are you confident that you know that gender uh, is uh, as binary as you're describing it? Are you confident that it isn't a spectrum? I am. Uh, you know I'm, this as a scientist? Well, there's there's two X chromosomes if you're a woman, an X and a Y. That means there's you're a man. There's a lot of so scientific research out there. There's a lot of scientific research out there that says gender is a spectrum. Chuck, I, I respectfully disagree. Gender dysphoria for most of our history, all the way through the DSM-5, has been characterized as a mental health disorder. And I don't think it's compassionate to affirm that. I think that's cruelty. When a kid is crying out for help, mm -hmm. what they're asking for is, you gotta ask the question of what else is going wrong at home? What else is going wrong at school? Let's be compassionate and get to the heart of that, rather than playing this game as though we're actually changing right. our medical understanding I, for the last I, I go 100 back years. To this. You know, it's interesting to hear this dialogue. There's a lot in here, and we're going to play the clip, clip again in just a moment. Where they started was with Vivek Ramaswamy talking about general mutilation and echoing an opinion that's becoming more common in the public square, and I'm glad to hear that it is. 
even people who aren't necessarily Christians don't necessarily believe in God's word. Guys like Paul Stanley from the band Kiss and Dee Snyder from the band Twisted Sister. I don't know that we would find those guys at church leading a Bible study, but even they are saying, hey, wait a minute, to do this to children. And Vivek Ramaswamy saying, hey, this is genital mutilation. This is chemical castration. And you'll notice that Chuck Todd just glosses right over that and says, yeah, but now wait a minute. I mean, this, is this a construct? And he actually, let's play the clip again, Joel, and listen for when Chuck Todd insinuates that the candidate, Ramaswamy, uh, are you a scientist? That type of thing. Go ahead and let's roll it once again. Cut one. But below the age of 18, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that we won't allow genital mutilation or chemical castration through puberty blockers You're for the purpose of that, transition. But how do you know it's that? Again, how do you know? Are, are you okay, confident? Okay, stop for just a second. Stop for just a second. How do you know it's that? Well, Chuck, it's really very simple. The science is settled. When you apply uh, Lupron to a boy's body, when you inject that into his body, it stops the flow of, of testosterone right? And I know you know this, Chuck, but the, it stops the flow of testosterone because that's what Lupron was actually uh, approved by the FDA for. It was for men with prostate cancer who needed a temporary relief from testosterone flowing through the prostate. So you could then go after the prostate and you could attack it with surgery or with radiation and chemo and get rid of the cancer. And then once you're cancer free, then you reintroduce the testosterone, let the flow start happening again. And that's what happens. See, women don't have this problem because they don't have a prostate gland. So how can you be sure, Chuck? Well, that's how you can be sure. And if you look at the scientific evidence that is available abundantly, that indicates that the number of people who have transitioned and try to detransition, men who try to turn their bodies into fem female bodies and then try to transition back and they realize, oh my gosh, I'll never be a father because I've been castrated. All of my male genitalia is gone. I have been castrated by a doctor, not by nature. One of the terms that I find so interesting that is used often is the non-binary gender fluid part. And I'm going to ask this with no snark whatsoever. I mean, none. If you've got an explanation, drop me a line, roger at the bottomlineshow.com. When I hear the term gender fluidity, I ask the question, especially for people who profess faith in Christ, if you believe that homosexuality is of God and you believe that uh, transgenderism and gender fluidity is of God, then why would God create bodies to be either male or female and not allow the bodies to be fluid enough to accommodate what happened. Yes, there are cases, very extreme cases of people with uh, the secondary sex characteristics of both genders, but you were talking either XX or XY is the standard. If a man is born and has XY chromosomes, or possibly in the case of trisomy 21, uh, you know, XXX or XXY or whatever, you know, we, we call that Down syndrome, but wouldn't it make sense that if someone was XXY, you could say, well, you know, they could be transgender, but they're not. I mean, I don't see a lot of transgender people in the Down syndrome community. So if it is fluid, why does it require surgery? If it's fluid, why does it require the injection of chemicals? If God ordained this, then why does it not happen naturally that the fluidity goes back and forth and back and forth?
Go ahead and continue the clip, if you would, Joel. I want to finish this out before we take the break. You know that gender uh, is uh, as binary as you're describing it. Are you confident that I it am. isn't a spectrum? I uh, am. You know I'm... this as a scientist? Well, there's, okay, there's two right X there. chromosomes. Stop right there. That was a dig at Vivek Brahmaswamy. Do you know this as a scientist? Either he's saying, you're obviously not a scientist, you're a venture capitalist. And again, I don't have a Ramaswamy for president in 2024 bumper sticker on my car. I'm just now learning about this guy too. He's an entrepreneur, he is a venture capitalist, but he earned his undergraduate degree with honors from Harvard University and has a bachelor's degree in biology. He founded a biopharmaceutical company in 2014. He then went to Yale Law School and earned his Juris Doctorate. Pretty smart guy. But for Chuck Todd to say, well, do you know this as a scientist? Well, you could, can you call him a biologist because he has a bachelor's degree in biology? I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Let's take a break. We'll come back with the final part of this conversation. I just found it fascinating to see where the mainstream media is with regard to gender non-binary and what one of the presidential candidates is willing to say with regard to should children under the age of 18 be put through these paces. And you'll notice he did not once hear the candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, say he didn't think people should have transgender surgeries. He's saying not under the age of 18. More on this in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Wright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradio.com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing heard recently from a bottom line listener who was involved in an accident and said that they were so grateful they reached out to Stephanie because when they got involved in the accident, the police officer on duty told them it would take them over a month to get their police report. You don't have a month to wait when you're trying to file a claim, get your car fixed, get your neck back in order. Stephanie could make that happen for you. Call her at 877-214-4935 or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash cover law today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Vivek Ramaswamy is running for president. He's running as a Republican. He's a 35-ish-year-old venture capitalist who has an undergraduate degree in biology and also has a law degree from Yale Law School. He was on uh, with Chuck Todd of Meet the Press uh, Sunday, this past Sunday, and they were discussing the issue of transgender surgeries, the so-called gender-affirming care, and whether or not it was appropriate for children they got into a rather heated discussion about whether or not there are two genders or many more. Uh, here's part two of that discussion. Uh, uh, cut number two, Joel, if you would. If a parent is dealing with a child that has these, that, yes. that may have these issues, trust me, the parent, the last thing they want to do is consider something like this. But if that is what they think could help their child pursue happiness or they're not to kill themselves, I, why take away that option? Again, 
it, why shouldn't it be up to the parents? So well, part of why parents now suddenly feel that way, let's ask ourselves that, Chuck, is we've created a culture that teaches parents that they're being bigoted or that they're bad people if they don't actually take those steps. So part of what I think is, listen, gender dysphoria for the rare few people who have suffered it mm -hmm. is a condition of suffering. My question is why on earth are we going out of our way mm -hmm. to create even more of it? And there's no doubt that the cultural movement in this country, even education, is creating more gender dysphoria. If it's a condition of suffering, yeah. let's not create more of it. That's what we're doing. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the whole suicide thing, the attempted suicide rate, or the uh, one of the things that we hear often is that uh, this is going to happen, it's inevitable. One study that came out of PubMed, uh, National Institute of Medicine, uh, indicated that 82% of people who identify as transgender have considered killing themselves. But how many people have not? Well, if you're going to have that conversation, you also have to have a dialogue about how many people transition, become the gender of which they were trying to get into, and then attempt suicide because they're not satisfied with the result. It didn't make them any happier. It didn't make their lives any easier. I appreciate a, a political discussion on this. And to his credit, Chuck Todd stayed as, as uh, neutral as he could, but he kept talking about well, what about the parent whose kid's dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, completely understand. We want to be gracious and compassionate with a parent who has a child who is wrestling with these feelings. The question we have to ask is, what is the best course of action for that child? When the experts tell us that anywhere from 90 to 95% of kids who experience these feelings when they're younger literally outgrow them. It's a sign of puberty. I mean, it's, it's, it's these days when you see more and more kids who are transitioning, there's a lot of social pressure. There's a lot of peer pressure to do this too. We need to be loving, we need to be caring, but also too ask the question, is this surgery the most caring thing to do? Is completely reorganizing a person's body without taking a look at the risks involved in taking a woman's body and trying to make it a masculine body or the other way around, how is that loving and how is that affirming care? All of these things talk, about we discussing the issue of taking our thoughts captive and bringing them before the Lord, being prayerful, not being spiteful, but being loving. That's the bottom line.